This is Shaco Art Speak. Hey, welcome to Shaco Art Speak. We're back for another edition. Uh, this is a special edition. Um, it's almost a below 30. It might even be a below 30. Um, it's summer still, so it's hot. But um, when we try to keep a conversation under 30 minutes, we call it 30 below or below 30 or something like that. I'm here with uh, an awesome, awesome co-host, Dr. Gareth Snacksmell. <laughs> Snacksmell in bringing, the house. <laughs> I'm bringing Snacky back. We call him bringing Snacky back. Um. <laughs> yeah, you other boys don't know how to act. That's right. <laughs> The only thing Gareth is missing is permed hair. Um, oh, gosh, to give the full boy band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that was the vibe when I woke up this morning. I was like, I'm really trying to hit '90s boy band right. Yeah, now. if you could do the '90s boy, I mean, the '90s boy band thing is like something I I hope never comes back in. I mean, around yeah, because yeah. I would I I don't know where you find a full denim suit anymore. I know, like, yeah. <laughs> and from that, <laughs> so today we're so we have you know we get questions and we thought. You know, there's um, deep topics, there's topics that require us to really think on for, for some time, and then there's practical topics. And every now and then we really want to jump in on a practical topic that is, it's like the kind of question you don't, you know, get answered in, in you know, grad school necessarily, or in, in school, or even in gallery sometimes. I mean, just the the places where art happens and artists make art, sometimes you you don't get common sense or, or even just practical answers, like anecdotal answers, like what's yeah, your experience yeah. been with this? So we had one of our listeners who's an awesome listener uh, call in and say, um, I've been thinking about uh, like, oh, let me see here. It says uh, the life cycle of, of physical artwork is something I've been interested in hearing about. I've been thinking about it a lot recently. I think because I'm still a relatively young painter, I haven't really had to deal with what happened when you finish a painting and no one wants it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about that, uh, listener, but it says here, uh, putting so much time and effort into something that you constructed to be a per- to be permanent, uh, it's hard to just throw it away. And so it says, I've, I have a hard time throwing things out in general, LOL, but I'm at the point where space is a practical issue and the panels aren't the best construction to begin with. Plus with stuff being in oil, I can't paint over it. So, um, is this a normal bar to being a painter? Um, is it something that I need to get used to? Um, they are getting used to it, but it's also a little, little discouraging. So there's issue. It's an issue from an artist that's already experiencing like the accumulation of things. Yeah. Um, and it, it treads into like your creative, the spirit, creative spirit behind it, but also then the practicality of like, yeah, what do you do if you're not showing you haven't, the process of getting to certain goals is to make in volume, but then the the byproduct of that is you may have things that sit around for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, what do you do with that? Um, <clears throat> so, that's a good question. It I is. Think, it's a really good question. Yeah. And you know, the what the question made me think of is, is uh, you know, I got a six year old daughter, and she is constantly making stuff, mm-hmm. and she wants us to save everything that she draws, that she paints, that she constructs. Right? She wants all that there, and we have this similar conversation, but in a different way. It's a more practical way, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, somebody that's six is different than somebody who's finished art school and they're doing the painting thing and they're trying to really actually, you know, do something beyond just the kind of having fun that my daughter yeah. is. Um, but it's still in the same sort of space because I I have a hard time, like, throwing a drawing because there's something really, like, there's something baked into that, right? Yeah. There's something about the the creative process and output that I think makes those things more than just, it's more than just a piece of wood. It's more than just a panel. 
right? And I, so I think that I don't think we can really discuss the question if we don't sort of talk about that elephant in the room, mm-hmm. right? That there's like a baked in intrinsic value that we put into things yeah. when we make, yeah. Um, which is always going to make it hard because if it was just oh, I was just paint on wood, well, I can throw away pieces of wood that are painted, right? But that's not what it's not what we really get at when we're making sure. stuff. Sure, and there's also the the kind of um, situational aspect of it where you know you might be in a state of mind during a season of making things where you're not very excited about them, which I've yeah. been, and then or, or you know that you are, and then later you're not, and then later you are again, and so the work tends to seem different or strike different chords with you over time. And if so, there's this fear of like throwing things out. I think, um, based on that, I mean, I, I had a painting that sat in my studio for 10 years and then was collected into, um, a permanent collection Mm -hmm. into a corporate collection. It was eight by eight foot painting. And, you know, there's a part of me that, I mean, I've had to get rid of some, some big paintings I had. So the backstory for me with this is I had paintings in California all of my father-in-law's like auto shop when he was had a uh, smog business and then he lost his smog business many years ago and so those paintings some of those paintings i had to choose which ones they were these are big paintings like eight four by eight four by six you know uh ten by twelve or uh things like this on wood panels so they couldn't roll up they couldn't be taken apart as canvases so there's a lot of them Mm -hmm. and so um they had to take photographs and you know i had to pick which ones uh, were the first to go that I could sacrifice first. It was super hard. Mm. Um, and then the others were able to go live in a garage um, for Laura's, my wife's uh, great-grandma. Mm-hmm. And she just passed recently. So she passed away, you know, um, speculatively based on some of the effects of COVID um, several months ago in the spring. Mm-hmm. So all that work had to go, had nowhere to go. So we had to get it shipped back here. And now all these old paintings are, there and I'm actually really glad that I kept them, and so they had to go through quite a journey. Um, I've lost a lot of my work because I had nowhere to store it, yeah. but I've kept what I can from different periods of my life. And some of the work that I've kept has this chance of showing later, just based on the trajectory of like my career as a maker. It's like there could be times where there's a you know retrospective potential or just a more larger kind of like investigation of like the thoughts that I've had visually over over years. So. That's a value to me, um, but I'm also further on in my experience than, say, our listener is. Right. So um, one thing that I think is always worth considering is we talk about knowing and being known. Is like, do you know people that can are willing to uh, store some pieces for you? If, yeah, yeah. You know, like just um, you got to be willing to move them when, when it's time to, but uh, sometimes you don't want to discount the fact that like there's might be some people. Mm-hmm. The other thing, so there's the creative solutions of like, do you, do you know people? Um, is there a co-opt of a few of you that want to go in together and rent a storage space mm-hmm. where you're all paying yeah, about true. Yeah, 10 bucks and it's like a space where y'all can store is a thought that I have. Um, another, another is um, I have let space constraints determine the size of the work that I make. So once we lost my uh, studio in grad school and were living in a tight apartment, uh, Laura and I started making work that could only fit on the size of my desk. Yeah. After making like fifteen foot sculptures, so <laughs> yeah. Um, and I didn't, you know, I, I so um, I also made the paintings thinner because I wanted them to stack better, and I, I I had some conceptual reasons for formal reasons for it as well. But it was uh, 
you know, I was processing the work through all the constraints, formal constraints, material constraints, space constraints. And I, I wanted to make paintings that I could carry with me like a record or an album that I could stack in a car or, um, or were easily transportable for economical reasons. But those constraints allowed my work to mature and become, I think, the work that I'm most excited about. So I also look at have-nots mm-hmm. as what I call opportunities. They're problem opportunities that, like that. Drive, you, drive you to um, uh, specified making. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I'm, yeah, that's my... I was really excited. I had a student say that uh, in, in an evaluation for their time in our foundations that they said that one of the favorite lessons they learned from VCU so far was uh, how to approach opportunities, problem opportunities. I was like, yes, it's taking hold. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I really, you know, I think it's a volitional lens you wear. Mm-hmm. Is it a problem or is it an opportunity? Well, it's, it is a problem, but it's an opportunity. It's a, yeah. you know, so you, with that orientation, um, those are catalyzing possibilities for the shape and makeup of your work. Mm-hmm. Maybe it means that you paint, you make a single panel that has a particular size to it or three different sizes and you stretch canvas over the top. And so when you're done with an oil painting, then you unstretch it and roll it and stretch the next canvas on that panel so that the, the paintings are made, the panels are few, until you know you're going to show all of these pieces. Mm, yeah, so yeah. now you're now you're you're talking about a bunch of paintings rolled carefully in oil into a tube or or hung on a on a rack um you know with like clothespins mm-hmm. almost like like the way you hang clothes in a closet or right you, you know what I'm saying so you're only really dealing with four physical panels or three physical panels or one but you may have 20 or 30 paintings that when stacked together equal to the thickness of the the panel they were made on. Yeah, I, you know. I I like that. I think there's you know there's something very nice and just like practical about um, about the things you're saying. And I think you know the 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 first thing you said about um, you know having people store the work mm-hmm. at their house. Like I think that's a that's a good thing, right? So so first of all, like, like don't think you're alone in this, right? There are people that exactly. actually could benefit from storing your work, yeah, um, or even hanging your work. Yeah, well, that's. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say this, this. This person had reached out to me a few months back about a specific painting, and, and he said, "You know, could you could you put this in your house somewhere?" <clears throat> and we're at a space right now where we just don't have <laughs> we just don't have wall space for larger pieces. Yeah, um, which is great. I love the fact that we've collected to a point where I'm I have very, to have I'm very, very specific pieces. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, if it comes down, your to your house it, looks great, by the way. Well, thank you, man. The art, the that. art game has stepped up uh, quite a bit. Yes, uh, we're very happy about it. But I think we will have to just build random, useless walls just yeah. so we can have places to yeah. put art. <laughs> and that's why museums exist. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> literally, how museums. <laughs> but you know, like, but I think even taking it a little, a little further than just like storing it, like, um, you know, if if you're down to the place, uh, like, if you're in this position and you're saying, you know, hey, you know, I think I have to get rid of this stuff, or I have to throw it away, or I've got to do something with it, like. Then, then what's the harm in giving it to somebody? Yeah. You know, like, I mean, what's what's the harm in just sharing that? Mm-hmm. Um, I said, honestly, because what I'm saying here is I think that there's um, there's two different ways we need to start to think about, like, the value of our work when mm-hmm. we're approached with a question like this. And uh, a lot of the times I think all we do is we equivocate the value of our work to a dollar instead of the value of our work to something that is more, like, uh, generative and growth-based. Yeah. So... You know, this work in the past, you know, you, you can't paint over it because of the materials you used. 
Um, that's just not going to work. Uh, you maybe don't want to get rid of it, but maybe also you feel like it's something that you've kind of, you've grown past or, you know, whatever. Like, so I think the value of it is you've learned a great deal. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you have to hang on to it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, it, it's, it, that's why what I mentioned at the beginning about like, there's this emotional attachment. Sure. That I think we get into that like, it's okay to like not keep your work. Yeah. Um, you know, cause like, I mean, there's stuff that I did in grad school that like, sure. I, I still have on a hard drive somewhere, but I'm yeah. never putting it. Somewhere. I'm pretty sure I got some stuff buried in someone's yard. Some, some <laughs> drawings. I'm like, no one can ever see these. <laughs> right. I was like, just buried them in people's random yards. Cause I just couldn't <laughs> fully let them go. Yeah. So I was like, I just can't have them know that I ever made this. Cause it's such a terrible drawing. But um, I wondered, I, I heard somebody silently crying in my yard a few months back. Yeah. I don't know if that was you that, that was, night. That was me. I, I, that wasn't a dog bearing a bone. That was me hiding a drawing I made in ninth, in ninth grade with Michael Jordan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And the the realism for all you MJ collectors, yeah, it was not the realism was was uh, helter skelter. But I think you know, like I think sometimes we hold on to things because we maybe falsely assume that oh, this might be this might be something I could sell later, right? Yeah, and we do that not, not just with our art; we do a sure. lot of other stuff. If you're a collector of anything, you probably feel this way. Yeah, um, and so I think that there's. You know, like there's something fantastic about giving someone art, especially people that don't necessarily have a have a lens for like being a collector. Yeah. Right. To like, like you're not just giving them a piece of art that might be fantastic. You're also maybe in asking them to enter into a world mm -hmm. that they haven't ever thought about being a part yeah. of. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, so what I love, uh, you know, I'm always making mention of garden metaphors and having been gardening and, you know, over this time and cultivating our garden and stuff like that, there's uh wonderful things that happen. Like people start sharing vegetables cause they have excess. Um, so they have excess vegetables. You start sharing them. You also start, you tend to share seeds. And so sometimes you're like, Hey, let me give you this little starter plant. I know you're not really, yep. and you're, so you're like literally planting a possibility in someone else's experience. You're saying, are you interested in these little heirloom tomato seeds? Like mm -hmm. set them on your window seal and, or throw them in your backyard. Like here's some pumpkin seeds or, and I know I, I, I it's not to, not to totally equivocate art with, vegetables in terms of uh, life cycle. And, but I do think art is like um, vegetables in that there's a way in which we consume it or experience it or are in relationship to it. Mm -hmm. That is enriching, like we've said in the past. I was also going to say, even going further with that, like there's there's something about like, you know, if you leave a vegetable out on the counter, like it's going to rot and be useless. Yeah. You know, and the same thing with like if that if that painting just forever is just sitting somewhere unseen, yeah. covered by other paintings, yeah. like then what's the point of it anyway? Right. And so I think part of the key is, so the interesting thing with vegetables and that kind of thing is, I guess what I'm trying to get to is by nature of what they are, we have less of a problem sharing them. Mm, because yeah. it's part and parcel to our understanding of them. And so the ego is less enjoined to hoarding it, yeah. right? And so it's something you've cultivated. It's something you've brought forward. Uh, it, it has its own properties that make it happen too. So it's not like you are meticulously sovereign over every incremental moment of mm -hmm. the breaking of a seed in the ground to become the root that becomes the, right? It's not that, but, um, but you are connected to it. And so when it comes to art, we have to contend with this ego and this sentiment of um, there's something about this work that, that points to something more, says something about me. And, 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 and that is all true. But I also do think what's, what's true in there is, is the fact that um, uh, if we really want to cultivate a culture of art collecting and appreciation and where more lives are enriched by the art 
in a way that is more like vitamins. Yeah. Then you want to you want to be planting them. You know, you want to see uh, plants that are not as conducive to where you're at in your maturity gardening, but are actually completely appropriate for someone else. We have no problem doing that. Yeah. So yeah. why is that? Why not that with art, which supports your point about giving it away uh, every so often? It's like, you know, what you find to be past your experiences as you're growing is completely new to someone else mm-hmm. in the very same object. And, you know, when it comes to buying things, even like when you buy uh, vegetables or I was thinking about vitamins, when I buy vitamins, I'm paying a certain amount of money and that that allows them to be packaged, made, given to me. But then when I take the vitamins, the value is uh, manifold, you know, so if I'm feeling really great, me feeling really great has application into almost every area of my life. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So you can't you can't quantify it. Uh, as well on that side of the experience from the side of agreeing to pay this much to, to obtain it or have it, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's true with art. So you pay it a certain price for it, but the um, enriching aspect is not quantifiable mm-hmm. because it 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 has a formative shaping influence and in, in just ex- experiential value in proper perspective that can live with you a lifetime. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so so giving that to somebody as a place to start is pretty powerful or selling it for 20 bucks so that you can buy another canvas or, you mm-hmm. know, I think, I think the mindset of understanding the way things exist in the world and how we don't have to hold on to them as tightly can help invigorate the making without holding on to or being held, held uh, hostage by the things you've made in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You I know? think it's, I think it's a really intriguing point. Like, cause it, it is so easy <clears throat> even when we don't feel like we're doing it, it's so easy to kind of shrink the world of art down to, um, my experience, my, my volition, my, yeah. my doing, my collecting, my whatever that we, I think, you know, I, I have this, I, I don't often think about what maybe my art does to benefit the everyday life of somebody. Yeah. You know, like I, I like I build furniture that's in my house. Right. Sure. I mean like, and I don't think about the daily impact of mm-hmm. that. You know, and I don't, I don't, I don't think about it from just a functional standpoint a lot of the times. But I, I even more rare than that, I don't think about it from a, a kind of a quality standpoint sure. of my house. Yeah. But I do with the paintings that I have on my walls. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the other night I had a friend over, uh, had a new uh, a new piece I'd gotten from a friend that uh, I hung up, and it completely derailed our conversation. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking, like halfway through a sentence, this guy was just like, "Whoa, what is that?" Yeah. And like left the table, <laughs> walked over to it, right. looked at it, and started asking about it. Um, you know, and I, and I think that that's, I don't know if the person who made the piece ever considered that that might be an interaction that happened sure. in the home, but that interaction would not have happened without the piece. Yep. So if the piece wasn't there on the wall, yeah. couldn't have had that, the conversation yeah. that came from it wouldn't have happened. Right. So and those kinds of conversations. generative. Yeah. As an example, our tone setting, like you can enter into a conversational space around a film in, in really interesting ways. You can enter into a conversational space around a piece of furniture in interesting ways. Mm-hmm. And you can do that with a painting. And and because there is specificity to whatever extent, then there is a um, an ethic or a... It's a plausible ethic or a, a, a plausibility to... Um, that That's like a plausibility framework that sets up uh, potential ethics, potential ways of conversating, a potential depth of conversation that otherwise may not be active in the relationship you have with someone mm-hmm. because the nature of the other things that were immersed 
you know, uh, we're embedded into or around or um, are there in our, our common experience, maybe are so assumed they never promote or invite the, whoa, wait, what is that? Yeah. And so I think the, um, you know, I like that, the whoa, wait, what is that? And then the aha that follows, you know, because I think there's something, you know, I've said this before, but there's just something about the world that is discoverable perpetually so. And I think that's part of what we're supposed to be doing. I think that's a part of it is is coming to know. And so um, you're cultivating an experience where there's these um, uh, predictably unpredictable moments in your home Mm -hmm. that chances are are less uh, common for, for maybe some of your friends, you know, but are really enriching, really can become like, whoa, what is that? Yeah. And, then, and then all of a sudden you're having a conversation about certain ideas or, you know, um, uh, you know, effects that have implications on the person that they didn't realize. And then they leave the house looking around their experiences in a different way. Yeah, I had, you know, I had the same experience. Uh, my parents came to visit uh, earlier in the summer. We were sitting in the living room and they were just looking at the pieces that they could see from their vantage point. Um, and, you know, one of the things I love about the collection that we have is every, everybody in my house is a friend. So these are right. these are pieces of my friends yeah. on the walls, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is great. Um, but you know they're asking, and so my uh, talking about the art, and my my dad just very much was like, "How would I start to collect art about that was in this style or about this topic or mm-hmm. with this in mind?" Like that conversation wouldn't have come up organically just no. because you don't just ask that question out of nowhere. It's like yeah, it's like. Uh, son, I know you teach at an art school, so let me just ask this broad question that you may not even be within your realm of experience. Right. But because of what we do and what they saw, um, it really was like they, they almost needed to see the art to be able to think that they could be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And so what it led us into was a much deeper conversation about the arts and their their impact and their purpose. And then it moved into a conversation about artists themselves mm-hmm. and the things that they think and the way their process works. Sure. Um, and, you know, my dad's a musician, both my parents are musicians. So like they, they've got a general frame of reference for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was able to connect some dots. And by the end of it, like it was the first time that they left my house that I really felt like, Oh, I think, cause I've been trying, I've been trying to get them to buy art for years. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, cause we always went to museums and sure. we always appreciated the arts, but it was never hung on the walls. Yeah. Um, it was always decorative things on the walls. So, um, but it was the first time they left my house where I was like, I think my parents, I think my parents might get a painting. Right. And now it's like, I've got some pieces in my house that I don't necessarily have space for. Right. That I know are kind of within my parents' like stylistic choices. Sure. And I'm like, they may just end up getting one of those as a present one day. Yeah. Yeah. Or just sell to them for way more money. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to just market gouge the <laughs> heck out of it. Totally just shill my parents for a yeah. ton of cash. Yeah. <laughs> that they don't have. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to sell you. It's, you know, it's 8K. That's all. It give is. me your retirement plan. <laughs> I'll give you this painting. Come on, dad. Yeah. I mean, like that, but that, you know, I think, you know, um, it's, it's great. You know, you got some really like, like brass tacks sort of stuff um, in terms of, you know, do something with it. Like if you're not working in oils, you can always just reuse it. Right. Yeah. Like that's great. You know, certain materials you're fine with. Uh, I think the storage idea is a great thing. Yeah. Get together with some folks. Cause you're not the only one yeah. person who yep. sent this question in. You're not the only one. There are tons of people yep. with a bunch of stuff they don't have. Yeah. And I read something the other year that like, like, uh, uh, outside of the home storage is like one of the largest industries in the country. Sure. <laughs> it's like yeah. massive amounts of money. So there's plenty of spaces for you to find. Right. 
Um, or but, start a art storage business. Oh, there you go. Like a U-Haul for art artists. Yes. Oh my god. Not bad. It's not a bad idea. Yeah, build yourself uh, a really nice climate controlled shed in your backyard. Yep. And now you've got climate controlled art storage yeah. for you and all your friends, yep. and you get to have other people pay you to store your art. Exactly. There you go. That's a darn good idea, team. Somebody take that and run with it. Run with it, please. Um, then, we'll, then we'll see if we can kick some, but some I work. Still, I, I really do. I, I mean, the thing I'm hitting at, I'm a little biased towards this idea. I, it's my favorite one we've talked about. But, um, you know, like in, in, the, in the words of the great American philosopher, Anthony Kiedis, um, mm-hmm. give it away. Give it, give away, it away. Give it give away, away now. now. Um, um, you know, it, and, and even if that means for, you know, small amounts, you can get some more materials, keep making some more art. Like, I think that's a great yeah, a great space to go. Like, allow other people to enter into the idea of yeah. collecting. The only reason why that ever is hard is it, you may feel that it's a terrible painting, and it may be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have I have some terrible but, paintings where I'm like, I know this is a terrible painting, and I'm not going to let anybody see it. But I have I have let some paintings go that I don't feel personally as excited about anymore. Yeah, where I'm like, uh, that's how. And I think the anxiety is somebody may come into contact with your work from that node yeah and go oh that's what he does and that's <laughs> happened to me more yeah. than one time and it's like that was a study that somebody else valued and mm-hmm. i gave it to him not really thinking about it as a representation of me as a whole yeah but you just can't worry about that stuff you know no. i spent too much time worrying about it and denying friends and family or collectors their own enjoyment with something that they saw value in that I didn't quite see the same way. Right. And I think, I think so, you know, I think that's always a relational thing. Mm -hmm. So that means there's not a hard and fast rule. Uh, in my mind, there's just, um, as it comes, you work it out. Right. And so, uh, um, and in the piece that I have at this point is like, I'm mostly okay with anything anybody owns of mine. Like, I'm not terribly worried about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really, if anything, I'm very appreciative of what that means. When I go into a home and like a painting of mine is in that house, it's kind of, it's kind of awesome, man. It's like, that's an amazing thought, you know? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, as an artist, like, it's what you dream about is that people actually are interested in care and there's some kind of um, mutuality there. Well, also, if you give if you give a piece of your work to somebody who is never collected, um, you're guaranteed to be the best piece in their collection. Yeah. So no matter how bad it is, that's exactly you're always right. going to have gonna the best the piece most, in their yeah. collection, yeah. at least until they get their second one. Sure. Right. And then even then, there's a fighting yeah. chance. That's right. <laughs> so, Still probably pretty good. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. So I think I think you know I think there's a couple of things you have your your uh, systematizing uh, studio practice around the constraints of your home. So yeah, like I said. That's great. Turn, turn, take a couple panels and make them the backdrop for your paintings mm-hmm. and only stretch panels, canvas over the top, you know, if that's a thing, you know, and, and then if you say, well, I don't like canvas, well, work the canvas in a way where it's gessoed and sanded to where it feels like hardboard. Mm-hmm. So then you can remove them and then know whenever it's time to show, you can make frames for those. Yeah. Um, that would be uh, a practical step um, um, that I think, I think is just very, very tenable. Uh, that will mitigate the amount of storage you have to, you know, you have to use. You can store paintings under a bed, that kind of thing. Right. Um, if you're painting in oils, you can you can still paint over them. You can also uh, use paint stripper mm. and strip the painting back and get some interesting underpainting effects. Yeah, yeah. That become the impetus for a new painting. So take some of your paintings um, and experiment with stripping the oil away. 
and looking at the after image and, and or you know the, the underlying re- residual image and see if that doesn't inspire another painting yeah. um, or just directly paint oils on top and let the history of paint build up. That I mean, that is, I don't know how many master works that have been x-rayed only to find there's 20 paintings underneath. Yeah, yeah, that's, so, that's true. So there's just a historical precedent for that. And anything that you don't fully want to get rid of but you're willing to, get good documentation of and create a visual index for. Mm-hmm. So you, you always have some kind of image reference. That's helped me out a lot. A lot of paintings that don't exist anymore, I have images of. And it, it's important for me to go back and look every now and then yeah. because there's, there's continuity that I'm looking for or there's I'm mining myself sometimes because I knew that I was doing things that I wasn't sure about and that I would need to come back and reconsider. So I had the peace of mind 20 years ago, 15 years ago to do that, knowing that in the future, if I'm still doing this, I'll probably go back and look at it. Lo and behold, I do that every now and not very often, but every now and then. Yeah. It's every now and then you just kind of want to go back and go, huh? Because you're looking for certain tendencies that persist over decades, you know. And at some point, you just kind of go like, that's just who I am, and I'm going to rock, rock that. I'm going to own it. I'm going right. to take ownership over those tendencies as like drivers in the makeup of my work, the aesthetic makeup, the compositional makeup, the formal. You know, form and content are so together for me. So, so um, they're not necessarily separated at all, which is a whole other discussion. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's we talk about holistic looking and seeing and and um, ecosystems and the idea that is like how do you integrate where you're at in a in a more lucid and clear and understood way, mm-hmm. and so where the problems are are the opportunities to further integrate and hone in your practice. It actually becomes the opportunity because it, it sends you into a trajectory. You don't, it invites a move. It doesn't, it doesn't leave everything open to you. Mm-hmm. It's saying like, and, and we need, we actually need constraints. Oh, they're, yeah. they're actually helpful because they take away choices that we're not fit to make all the time. Because I mean, uh, analysis uh, paralysis is real where you're, you got too many options and you can't Completely. move. So rejoice in the limitations and, and see how you can uh, use those to like as like a was it an extruder. It's like extruding yeah. your practice through the constraints of, uh, uh, of your life and it will um, refine the work in ways that are meaningful on the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so storage limitations are, uh, can be a blessing actually. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a really good point uh, to hit on because uh, if I were kind of to distill a lot of what you know I've come to understand that like teaching uh, art and design at a college level is about, it really is about throwing up walls for students to kind of swerve around mm-hmm. uh, because they're not things that you naturally tend to do. Yeah. So once you can start to do that within your own personal practice, I think it shows like th- there's definitely a deepening and maturing of your practice yep. where you can lean into those and uh, have yourself some wonderful opportunities to go from. Yep. That's and right. I think, uh, so yeah, this has been great. I think these are some really good things that you can just start jumping into like today right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if y'all have more questions like that, or if you have some uh, clarification you want on, you know, it's a pretty, you know, kind of, you know, basic discussion, I think, but they're helpful. And, um, we, we can't think of them all, but when we're provoked by very honest questions from you all, I think it helps our conversation, uh, be pointed towards things that you're thinking about. So please, 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 if you're a listener, a couple of things we'd ask is, um, you know, we'd like to get the podcast, uh, out to more people. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you haven't, and you're interested or you, you feel like you could, 
go on Apple iTunes, write us a review. Yeah. Um, maybe give us um, more than four stars. That'd be um, great. Yeah, we do, just because we want to, we want to beat the algorithms and get the podcast out to more more eyes. And definitely, you know, so so reviews and ratings uh, really help that. So if you would, if you're a listener and you've been listening for a while, we would love to just hear a review from you, some feedback from you. You would help us get the podcast out. Um, I'd ask you to consider sharing the podcast with three friends. Mm-hmm. Do you know three friends that are artists or designers that might be interested in listening to the conversations? And finally, um, would you consider sending us in a practical question? No, no, yeah. no question is so practical or relevant that, um, or irrelevant that I don't think it's worth talking. Chances are whatever you're thinking about somebody else is too. Oh, definitely. So, um, no matter how simple the questions are or complex, um, we really do value the conversation and it's a, it's, it's something that is rewarding when you, you hear from listeners who are thinking about these things. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So hit us up with those questions at info at uh, That's uh, a, a great way to get them to us. Yeah. Um, we're always happy to feel those questions. They give yep. us a lot of good stuff to talk about. And check us out on Patreon. We we're thankful for our supporters. We uh, can stand to use some more supporters uh, during, especially now during COVID because we have taken a hit. We'd like to keep this going, but we do need help. So in order to keep this going, we, we, we definitely uh, uh, could use some, um, some patrons that could even give us a few bucks a month. Um, you know, we're, we're, we have a studio to pay for, and we are um, always in need of help. So yeah, do think about it. Yeah, and as always, we love you guys. You're a great audience. Thanks for all you do. We're grateful for every listener and everything that you do for us, and uh, we'll catch you next time. See ya. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, non-profit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.